Welcome to Fast Forward, where we discuss technology, ethics, and the future of humanity. With your hosts, Rachel Love and Ben Perry. Each episode starts with a broad topic that we found interesting. And explores how it engages with humans and communities in the future. You can expect science news filtered through our woefully amateur lenses. Some strong opinions and hopefully a bit of humor. Hello, and welcome back to Fast Forward. I'm Ben. And this is Rachel. So this whole season, we've talked about a lot of breaking tech news that is super attention-grabbing and sensationalist and possibly cataclysmic. (laughs) Yes. But always sort of looking at things that are breaking right now or in the last couple years and their implications for what does this look like down the road five, ten years. Mm -hmm. And so what we thought would be fun for our last episode this season is to do the reverse and do sort of a retrospective. So look at a story that was a big breaking tech news story about a decade ago, and then talk about what has happened in the decade since then, what's the state of play right now. I'll begin with a story. I remember going to my neurologist in 2011, and when I was waiting in the waiting area, they had the magazines, highlights and what have you. Right, right, right. (laughs) Um, And they had the Discover magazine. And the big Discover story that month was this look at brain-reading helmets that the military were developing. And I remember just looking at that, and it was the first time I'd ever heard about the concept of, oh, yes, somebody could put a helmet on your head and it could, in some tangible way, read your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And don't think that my analysis of the military-industrial complex was quite as advanced as it might be now, but even at that point, I remember thinking, this seems bad. (laughs) (laughs) This seems troubling that the military is going to have a helmet that will allow the brain's thoughts to be communicated into text in some form. And so the basic technology that's involved, I've also now badly distorted what the actual science is, but I remember that was my takeaway. I often feel that as important as the real science is to any of these discussions, people's emotional and visceral reactions to tech and science is also really important because it's always something that's functional, even if that's not actually what's going on. Right. TM, mm-hmm. perception is a very real thing when it comes to the way that we interact with technology in our right. society. The project that the military was actually endeavoring upon, the first time you see reported it is a story in Time in 2008 that talks about the military wanting to develop helmets that would allow their soldiers to communicate with one another wordlessly. So the idea is, let's say you're you know, a soldier in, at that point, I guess, Iraq, and you're in a firefight and you can't speak to your fellow servicemen because of safety concerns or it's too loud or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the idea would be that you would be able to just think into this specialized helmet and either something like enemies to the right or we need a medevac or something. And then that would then be communicated via brainwave to other people's helmets that would then read out on a digital display what the other person was thinking. Mm -hmm. That's pretty crazy. At least that's what they were building this to do. Right, right. Now, at the time that these articles were written, what it was largely consisting of when it actually came down to the science of it all was they were trying to get these early EEG helmets to read basic vowel sounds. So they were Mm -hmm. having these people putting these helmets on 
and they would have the person think, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Right. And they would notice, okay, when the person thinks, ooh, really intently, mm -hmm. there is this particular pattern of brain waves. And when someone thinks, ah, really intently, you get this other pattern. And so right. then just training the computer to differentiate between, okay, this is an ooh pattern, this is an ah pattern. Mm -hmm. With mm -hmm. the hope and intention that maybe someday with enough training, you could progress from simple vowel sounds to more complex sentences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we just back up for a second and sure. talk about... Let's just say magic wand, this technology is developed, right? You and I are out in the field, things are happening. Even if we were trained to use this technology and we're in a situation where I need to tell you, Ben, we need a helicopter right now, someone else on our team is hurt, whatever, right? And I'm communicating this to you. One, my issue is that we as humans don't really control our thoughts. And so there could be all of these other things that are going on in that specific scenario that could change that communication from me to you. And then two, if we're specifically talking about folks that are in combat, these are high stress environments. Anything could happen. You things mean, are crazy. You mean the brainwaves in a combat scenario? Wouldn't it be like the brainwaves in a peaceful lab, Rachel? <laughs> What? <laughs> but you're exactly right. If you look at the history of where this technology has run into snags, it's exactly that. It's this idea of like, oh, well, this seems like something that could be really cool. That actually, when it came down to developing, it looks like it really, to this point, has not borne fruit. The military spending millions of dollars. The initial contract was $4 million. The Discover article gets up to like $6.2 So, mm -hmm. you know, the We're military is money. just, you know, just... Throwing, throwing money hand over hand <laughs> at this project with the idea that like, oh, well, this is all based on the preliminary result that this group of scientists working on an already $450,000 mm -hmm. budget were able to get a computer to pretty reliably differentiate between ooh and ah in a clinical setting where everybody right. has full EEG sets mounted right. to their head by mm -hmm. little electrodes on their scalp. I mean, it, it is a wholly divorced setting from what you might actually right. encounter in the field. It's like two different planets. What if I was trying to tell you Ben, call the helicopter, but all you hear is run, I'm scared. There's craziness happening. And the idea really is that you were never going to be able to, or at least I, mean, I don't think anybody was deceiving themselves enough to be thinking that you would be able to just have a helmet that would decode people's thoughts entirely. Right. At best, you might end up with a series of phrases that they trained the helmet to read. And so you would have maybe, you know, five or six phrases that you could think mm -hmm. that were especially selected by you know, right. their, their importance. Yes. But also, who just say that that's transferable? Like, if you're going to make helmets, every single soldier is going to sit through this and train the helmet over and over and over again. I mean, right. maybe... Maybe, but then well, how many people can actually do that, you know? It, it just seems like something that's like is not a really feasible concept. And so you right. have both what I would say very understandable reactions from people who are reading this story going, wait a second, the military is developing a mind-reading helmet. What? That is a scary thought. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I don't think that my 21-year-old reaction to that story was entirely unjustified of being scared that the military was developing what should relatively be understood as a mind-reading helmet. Yeah. And at the same time, this cruel irony that my fears were entirely unjustified to the degree that it's actually totally infeasible to the point where a decade later they have dumped millions and millions and millions of dollars and have mm. almost nothing to show for it. So. Right. <laughs> because that's where we are now. <laughs> Let's talk about where we are now. Yeah. 
it's really limited. A lot of the technology is around prosthetics and helping people who can't communicate verbally, helping them to communicate with doctors and loved ones, etc. But I don't think a decade later that we are anywhere close to where they no. think that we would a, have been. A very recent Stanford study that came out to give people a sense of sort of where the field is now. Had people who were limited in their speech, and so they, you know, they're working with folks to try to see if, okay, you know, could you take people who, for whatever reason, have lost language capacity, can you get them to use a computer with just their mind? And so they were able to get folks to, using their brain, control the cursor and click one of nine dots on a page. And mm -hmm. so they could pretty reliably say, okay, I want to click the northwest dot. And they could, mm -hmm. you know, using their brain, get the cursor to go over and click that dot. Now, right. that in and of itself is a huge triumph. That's right. amazing that you could use brainwaves to do that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. they've been working on this for a decade and that's right. where we are. Yeah. The leap from that to anything that's really, really mm -hmm. tangible in terms of any kind of sort of realistic commercial use Right. is dubious. Yeah, and I think there's other applications in which folks can move objects telepathically, but specifically when you're talking about prosthetics or talking about movement, that's a very different thing than talking about language, right? <laughs> Moving forward, backwards, or even at the speed at which you're going is a very different thing than like, let me construct this sentence with all of this nuance and the ways in which my brain have coded how to say pet the dog is very different than the way your brain says mm -hmm. pet the dog, right? And so each time that you would put on this helmet, like everyone's brain is different. Right? And it reminds me of our conversation previously around brain mapping and how there's just all of these different neurons and there's just so much happening. Yeah. It's literally impossible to do that. On the one hand, will you ever be able to better understand the brain if you don't invest in the kinds of science like this to develop it? Probably not. Valid. So on the other hand, I just can't help but feel that there are better ways to spend $10 million. That's how I felt. At the end of the research, I was like, Okay, so we're not getting far enough to do any actual mind reading while just saying mind reading helmet invokes Big Brother and all of the anxieties around that. We're not there yet, but then we've spent all of this money doing this research. And yes, very valid in terms of like, yeah, let's learn more about how the brain works. Let's learn more about how all of these things interact. But also, we have a lot of things going on in our society and in our world. Is that what we want to be prioritizing right now? Well, it does seem like something where if you were able to get this project to work to a degree that it's really useful, that's where you start running into real ethical problems. Mm -hmm. So you're in like this catch-me-too mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, well, if it's not useful enough to really do much of anything, then you're just spending all this money for basically nothing. And if we really do get the science to come along, then you start running into actually real ethical problems. There was this line in the Discovery article that I loved. It's like, the skull should remain a realm of absolute privacy. If the right to privacy means anything, it means the right to the contents of my thoughts. And I think that is... <laughs> I love yes. that. I wrote down the exact same quote. <laughs> it's like something that's so obviously self-evident. Totally. Like, yeah, totally. we should all have yes. the right to our own mm -hmm. thoughts being private. Mm -hmm. right. What happens within the walls of my skull should stay my should own. Should stay there. Unless I choose to express it other ways. And so yes. it seems like in order for this technology to actually get to a point where it was making serious concrete impacts in people's lives, being able to facilitate a computer without using your hands, right. being able to like really understand someone's thoughts to a degree that you could really translate them to speech, mm -hmm. that you immediately are now in a territory where the military could also develop something like that to put on the head of an enemy combatant and say, okay, well, exactly. we're going to read your brain. Right, right. 
Exactly. And I think once you get to that point, it's like, yes, of course, there's a primary use. But as we know with technology, there's always ways to corrupt mm -hmm. that, right? There was something I was reading and a scientist was saying, wouldn't it be, he used the term wet dream, a wet dream to say, oh, honey, I can't make our daughter's recital. Can you turn on the brain chip in your brain so that I can see the recital through your eyes? No. And it was like, <laughs> okay, in this specific parent-child recital example, sure. For anything else, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's horrifying. I hope we never get to that point where we could even use it in that capacity. But it already seems like the places where you are starting to see this kind of EG technology being used, it's already kind of scary. Yes. Even in the very, very rudimentary ways. There's like a, a whole article that's out. It's talking about the way that China is using this. A lot of Chinese mm -hmm. companies, and particularly Chinese agencies that are sort of uh, pseudo-governmental, which in China is always sort of... A, very what, what is blurry that? line <laughs> are developing helmets head yeah head, hats helmets whatever for all of their employees so you'll have a company of has a couple million employees all over the country doing something we're looking at like construction workers and air traffic yeah. controllers all sorts of different people who are in sort of public service -y kind of jobs mm -hmm. and they were using these hats to monitor basic emotions are these people feeling angry are they feeling right. happy are they right. you know and those are kinds of things that will have more discrete, measurable, distinctive brainwaves right. that say minor changes in language mm -hmm. will. So it's relatively easier to map, but for what? Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I have so many questions, Ben. I think really the primary question is if we have all of this research about what's going on here, what we know so far about the technology, then my question is, is China using the same technology or are they on a whole different level and they haven't really let the public know about that, so, right? And the article we're discussing, we'll link in the bio, but it's, it's very vague on a lot of the details, which is pretty... Scary um, in and of run itself. Of, you know, <laughs> but also like pretty normal for China. Right. They're not super, super upfront and transparent about right. what they're doing at all times. My guess, if I had to guess, would be that they're using the same EEG technology. Mm -hmm. Like I said, when you're talking about something like base emotional states, there's a lot greater variance between me being happy and what my EEG shows and me right. being furious and what my EEG mm -hmm, shows. Mm -hmm. And so my guess would be that you could pretty reliably code for a series of the different emotions. Right. But what was even more vague was what they were doing with this all. Right. So they were using phrases like increasing employee productivity. Yeah. It's Which, a very vague phrase. It's a very vague thing. And it's like, I understand it from the point of like, if you want to be more productive as an organization, you need to be tapped into what's going on with your employees. Are they burnt out? Are they working too long hours? Do they need more breaks? Are folks coming in that are already upset about something going on in their personal life? All of those reasons, like, yeah, you should make certain structures, policies, and procedures so that your employees can work in the best, safest, and productive way. Does that mean monitoring their brain waves? Mm, I don't think it so. It like it crosses a <laughs> line. That's all I'm saying. It feels like, I don't know where the line is, but I feel pretty sure it's it. before we, then. We're <laughs> over the line. We're over the line. I think what's most frustrating about that article is there's just a lot of no comments. There's just a lot of just lack of information. And it really begs the question, well, sure, you might be using it to increase your productivity, but what else are you using it for? 
And then where is the line? Well, so like, can you be fired if you're just getting angry and play? Are you going to look at exactly. like, oh, here are the people who are just angry a lot of the time. Like, right. we're going to fire them. Because right. Because we know that you have this tendency. But then the thing is, is that because all of our brains are different, someone's response saying that the brainwaves are indicating that you're furious all the time. What if that's just your regular state? And actually for your brain, that just means you're like really excited to do the job. Or, I mean, let's say you are angry all the time, but you're able to, like, manage it and handle it, and you also are able to stay calm, and you're right. like, yes, I'm angry all the time. Like, mm-hmm. You're like, you know, you're like the Hulk. <laughs> like, the secrets, I'm always angry, you know? Right. But, like, you manage to keep it under wraps, and you do your, your right. job well. Like, you right. are penalizing people for things that they can't control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is that everyone has a different personal context, right? Mm-hmm. So you might have a personal situation that makes you angry every day. But you still have to go to work, feed your children, whatever it may be. And so where does that lead you? Now that the employer has all this information, how are you using that? And what rights does the employee have? And I think it goes back to another conversation we've had about the technology going a lot faster than our laws. And is the employee protected? I don't feel like they are in this case. We're already seeing in this country, you know, employers monitoring all sorts of other workers' habits in terms of what are they using their computer for, when are they most productive, when are they sending emails, who are they sending emails to, Mm -hmm. what employees tend to respond to their emails most efficiently, are there time of day, you know, the big companies are already crunching all those numbers to optimize their workforces. And so it seems like the stretch to brain reading technology is perhaps a particularly Chinese and authoritarian one, but I wouldn't really put it past U.S. employers from doing just about anything. Absolutely not. And I think one thing to keep in mind is like employers are recording a lot of things and have access to everything that employees are doing on, for example, their company machines. And a lot of times those employers are not using that data, right? A lot of times they're not tracking it, but then if there is a certain scenario in which, oh, ex-employee started to talk about something that we don't like to talk about, now all of that information that they've recorded and tracked about you, that comes into play, and now I can use that against you. All very, very scary stuff. I think what's just so frustrating as well is that this started as a military research project. Which is super, super common. There's so, so much common. commercial technology that has mm-hmm. its origins in the military. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure GPS, yes. Google Online, all of these different right. lasers right. and all sorts of things that yeah. started as military projects and eventually make their mm-hmm. way into commercial spaces. And obviously, on the one hand, is it good that we have GPS? Right. Yeah, awesome. I would get lost a lot more. I'm um, super <laughs> lost. You know, it's weird and, and also revelatory of just how far encompassing the military industrial complex has grown. Yes. That the people who have the money to do exploratory research mm-hmm. are almost invariably the military. Always. And do military have different priorities when it comes to funding research than might be optimal for a civil society? I would think probably. I, I would but... think yes. I'm just going to say hard yes on that one. <laughs> yes. Do we have different priorities? Like, yes. Do we want military R&D people being the people who, when it comes to cutting technology have the capacity to sort of make or break things. But also the origins of technology and like what the intention was as it starts, that is going to carry through whatever that application is at the very end and how it continues to evolve. I just get so frustrated that we can't fund other things that are for us, for humans, (laughs) for the well-being of humans. And it goes back to If we're talking about the military, we're talking about conflict, we're talking about war, we're talking about people's lives. And that is the basis of how we start research projects. 
rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's you know, the year 2019, and it's interesting that companies like Facebook and all the various VR companies, they're all mm -hmm. getting into this space now because that is sort of the logical next step where it's, you know, okay, so how do you make people integrate even more seamlessly with machines? Well, brain chips seem right. to be the logical next right. step. Let's get in their brain. But we've seen that Facebook has some issues with privacy when it comes to just your personal information of, you know, oh, my address and other things that I've put on right. Facebook willingly. Are these really the people we want to entrust with brain chips or right. EEG scanners or, you know, any of these kinds of things? And right now they're pretty gimmicky. They're right. all sorts of weird, like, oh, you can play this weird, funny game. And, yeah. But it just really troubles me to see this tech moving more and more into a commercial space where people mm -hmm. will use it because it's cool and kitschy. And you're like, oh, wow, I can use my brain to control something. That's <laughs> kind of cool. But, you know, how much do we then just make companies having access to people's brains normal? Right. And just continuing the normalcy of companies having access to our data and very private details in the spirit of entertainment. Yeah. It's wild. How much liberty are we willing to sacrifice for security and for mm -hmm. pleasure? Right. <laughs> and it seems like that answer is almost everything. Yes. So far. So that's the path that we're on. It's just crazy. That's all I have. <laughs> because I just... It's mind-boggling that this is something that we're even talking about, honestly. Yeah. But I'm glad that we're talking about it. We're so grateful that however many of you worked your way through this season and endured <laughs> our technical hang-ups and right. uh, flaws. And that our lo-fi. You've yeah, you listened to our lo-fi podcast about the future. <laughs> if you really like it, we might bring back a second season. We'll see what happens. It's been a fun ride. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us. Until next time, this is Rachel. And I'm Ben. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fast Forward. As a reminder, what we've shared today are our own personal opinions and some of our jokes. But not expert-level information. So as always, please do your own research. And remember, please base no life-or-death decisions on our ramblings. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating and a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Stay tuned for the next episode.